Welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. Fresh off of Talk the Thrones, The Ringer is introducing a new live Twitter after show covering season two of HBO's Big Little Lies. Immediately after each episode, The Ringer's Amanda Dobbins and ESPN's Mina Kimes will be going live to give their initial reactions and break down everything we saw in the episode. And to kick us off, there will be a special season two preview airing on Friday, June 7th at 12 p.m. Pacific. So join Amanda and Mina for Big Little Live every Sunday on Twitter. Basketball is very good. Seth Curry is the best Curry. The Sixers should trade for Landry Shamit. The playoffs are better without LeBron. Basketball is very good. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. I am Justin Verrier and joining me in studio, the Malcolm Brogdon of the Ringer.com. I wish I was that reliable. <laughs> it's Jonathan Sharks. Joining us as always. Our producer, our loyal and lovely producer, Bobby Wagner. It's a very special group chat. Yes. It's an intimate conversation. Bobby's part of the group now. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Chris Ryan is no longer here. We're free of his tyranny. And thus Bobby gets to say more. Bobby but, works like 20 hours a day. He's always here doing something. <laughs> this is what I decree for, for this episode. I uh, didn't have a say in that, Chris. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're just going to edit you out anyway. Um, all right. So a basketball game was played tonight. Game yeah. five of the Eastern Conference Finals. The Raptors win 105-99 to take a 3-2 lead uh, in the last remaining series of these playoffs. Uh, what a game. Probably one of the best games of the series thus far. Uh, and we were talking about kind of just general takeaways before we got on. I think the best place to probably start here is you wrote pretty recently how uh, LeBron had dominated the Eastern Conference for so long. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, but yeah. he, he has since kind of ceded the floor to Giannis, uh, and it seemed like Giannis was very much ready to take up that mantle. Uh, he had blown through his first two opponents. They'd only lost one game going into this Eastern Conference Finals, and everything seemed ready and willing to coronate Giannis as the next guy in the East, perhaps even in the NBA. Uh, but then Kawhi steps in in this series, in this game, perhaps one of the best games of his postseason career and of the postseason, this postseason specifically, 35 points, nine assists, seven rebounds. Uh, let's start here. Is Kawhi the best player in this series? I mean, this is like the Kawhi game. Like, this was an all-time performance. Yeah. Game five on the road at conference finals. I mean, he's dominating by scoring. He's dominating by passing. He's shutting down Giannis on defense. He's doing everything. It was like, The number goes crazy to me. He had nine, nine assists in this game. He's only had more than six once this season. Like it's just like an all all around performance by Kawhi. It's per- incredible on both sides of the floor. Right. So he's doing the things that we typically expect from Kawhi, especially after a few games of where he's just dominated offensively. But as you allude to with the assist there, he's doing things that we probably wouldn't expect from him. Danny Chow, uh, actually, no, you wrote this. I almost gave Danny credit for this. How dare you? You wrote about how the last thing Kawhi needed in order to become truly great, truly like one of the best players in the league was to evolve as a passer because that just wasn't his strong suit. Yeah. Is this the type of game you kind of like, you look at him and he just has the entire package going for him? Well, yeah, because like when he's passing the ball like this, he can just really take over. Like he can, everything goes through Kawhi now. Like it's not just like Kawhi scoring, everyone else, everyone else is like doing their own thing. It's like, no, Kawhi's either scoring or he's getting guys open threes. And it was like, it's as simple as this, like this, the adjustment of the game for the Raptors was benching Danny Green and playing Van Vliet like 40 minutes. Because mm-hmm. like, Kawhi's so dominant. If you can just give guys where he can, they can knock down open threes, then that's all you need. Right. So we're basically at point Kawhi. That was what this was tonight. Yeah. Like, and it's interesting to see on the opposite side because that's essentially how the Bucks operate. It's just Giannis creates or he drives into the lane and is able to hit out, hit those, those open three-point shooters who have been so dangerous throughout the series. Obviously, some of those three-pointers weren't falling this season. Uh, and it's interesting to see the Raptors almost beat the Bucks at their own game. Yeah, point. it's just like that's like the game you got to have to win is when you have like the best player on the floor, either he's going to score or someone else is going to get a three. Right. And like that's like basketball, it's like its simplest form. As you get deep, deep, deep into these series, like the secondary players get shut off, all your plays get shut off. It just becomes like I have guys who score one on one or create open threes. And like he's getting the ball every single time. And what's interesting about I think with also with Milwaukee, because they're so transition like dominant, because Toronto's scoring in the half court, now Milwaukee's not getting getting any transition opportunities and they're gonna they're really it's like a it's like a rebound effect right it's like if because Toronto's scoring in the half court Milwaukee's not getting in transition so it's like even more and more powerful Toronto points so they're taking away the the offense of Milwaukee too they're controlling the pace yeah with, with stops 
basically. Yeah, I mean, and that's the advantage of having a Kawhi on the other end. You'd expect, again, once you'd expect that to be Giannis. You'd expect us to be talking about how Giannis switched on to one of their perimeter players and all of a sudden the, the defensive player of the year stepped up. It's just so interesting to see Kawhi kind of take the narrative by the neck and really control not only this series, but these playoffs. I'm trying to think if anybody even comes close to what Kawhi has done this entire playoffs. I mean, the closest thing I could probably think of is Steph. I think he had 36 or 37 points over four games to beat the Trailblazers without Kevin Durant. And obviously all those performances are going to be heightened by the fact that Durant um, is out and now they're playing like they used to. But throughout this entire playoffs, Kawhi has been the most consistent and the most consistently dominant guy. Two-way. And then, like, he completely controlled that uh, Philadelphia series. Right. Like, he won that thing by himself by the end there. <laughs> right. And now he's doing well, it again. because he hit that final shot. Yeah. And even in game five, like, he's dragging his leg. He's not 100%. Like, it's like, it's just, like, truly impressive. This is, like, Kawhi is doing, like, YMCA stuff. Like, I'm going to hold the ball. I'm going to wait till I get my shot. Like, controlling the game completely with his mind and his game. It's, like... This whole Raptors team, it was, it almost felt like um, the Mavs heat in 2011. I was watching this. You have like an older team that can shoot really well, holding the ball. It's really surprising. Keeping the younger team. You compare someone to the Mavs. Well, you have have your references, right? (laughs) Justin has his UConn basketball, his UConn hoops. (laughs) I don't get to use that one as often with the NBA these days. But Sharks, for the listeners at home, is wearing a Texas hat. Oh, (laughs) Texas Texas forever, y'all. Texas forever. I'm going home tomorrow, people. (laughs) Um... You know, are you going home to your ranch? Are you going to go graze some some cattle? This is why I assume your life is like. I wish, man. <laughs> um, I think the other thing that's fascinating here is just, it seems like Kawhi is having sort of like a myth-making postseason. For sure. I mean, I feel like if he had more personality, he'd be the story. Like, this is like, what this game here tonight, this is like one of those games talking about forever. Like, this mm-hmm. is like Kawhi's, he's, not, he's one of the finals MVP, but like at this level, to be carrying a team this far. It's like, this is like the game. This is the game of his career, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's sacrilegious to talk about Jordan and compare them to any player. And obviously Kawhi, that's a, it's a high bar that he will never probably ever surpass. But it's interesting to see him do certain things and your mind instantly flashes to Jordan. So he has that play where his giant hands, yeah. he basically, it just sucks into, the ball sucks into one of his giant, his right hand, and he palms it immediately. And from there, almost like one touches a pass to somebody else that triggers this possession where the ball is moving. And I think ultimately ended up with the Fred Van Vliet, like missed pull up two pointer, which was disappointing to see. But all I could think about was like how Jordan used to always like palm the ball and like deny the defender when he was kind of facing him up. Right. When he was like sizing him up and then he's doing these things while playing on one leg. Sometimes it didn't, he seemed slowed a little bit more, but it, at this point, considering what he went through this entire season, I guess I'm just like used to that. But like last game, I think most players, we would call that like the limp game. This would be the type of game that like we would all be talking about. But for some reason with Kawhi, it just doesn't seem like it ever gets to the level where people want it to be um, are as thrilled about it. Probably because he's just not as big of a celebrity as Jordan yeah. ever was. But it does seem like he's doing things that are on that level. Yeah, and this is like the playoff stage too. So before he was in the Spurs, he's part of that system. And then what, his first time they'll have this big moment was in the in that finals where he got hurt by Zaza mm-hmm. and knocked him out. Then he was out last playoffs. Like now this is like his first playoffs where he's the man on the on one of the last teams left. And we're just kind of seeing him, yeah, ride, you just had to ride his own legend. Like, we'll be talking about it now. These are the kind of games you have that like it changes everything how you perceive. Yeah, and- this is what we expected from Giannis. And I think throughout most of the playoffs, this is what we got from Giannis. And it had been great to see. Uh, it just seems like this entire postseason was shaping up to be the Giannis playoffs. And yeah. I think a lot of us were already starting to prep our our finals columns and our Bucks Warriors clashes. I'll never, I'll never admit it, Justin. <laughs> never. <laughs> I'll take the blame because I definitely was. There are a few, <laughs> there are a few slacks in, in in the ringer archives, or you could definitely see us prepping for that. All of a sudden, like maybe we need to erase that and, and get Paulo to, well, to I do think, some different blogs. <laughs> so sorry to Paulo. <laughs> I think too, like you're talking about like Jordan and Kawhi. It's like that mid it's the mid-range jumper. Like Kawhi can get that shot whenever he wants and he always makes it. Whereas like Giannis or even LeBron sometimes, the jumper would come and go. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Kawhi, you have that physical dominance to create a shot he's always gonna hit. Like he's just gonna score. I mean, really, the only guy I can guard him was Malcolm Brogdon, which is the real star okay. of this podcast. We'll, we'll get to that. We're going to do 30 <laughs> minutes on Brogdon later, but I do want to talk about uh, about Giannis quickly. Uh, it did seem like for a while, he he is this physical freak, and for a while he was just dominating based on sheer force. 
And the, the Bucks definitely have set up this system that takes advantage of his best attributes. They, they fill them around with all these three-point shooters. It's kind of similar to the way the, the 09 Magic were. It's basically you're playing four out just with an evolutionary, like supporting cast yeah. and evolutionary center at the middle of it all. And the numbers reflected his dominance, but the past few games, it has seemed like he has stalled to a certain degree. Uh, he had 12 points three games ago, 25, and then tonight he ended up with 26, or excuse me, 24, six assists, six rebounds, which is great, which is good. Nine for 18 from the floor, two for three from three point land. It seems like he's evolving that three point game. He's shooting with confidence. So Kawhi himself seems fine, but he definitely seems kind of gunked up. It definitely doesn't seem like he's moving as freely as he liked to. And my mind instantly thinks, well, are they too predictable? Is this Bucks offense too programmatic, which is always ironic considering that Kawhi's a robot, but it does seem like the Bucks' structure, there's almost like there's like a wrench in the gears, and all of a sudden things just aren't operating as efficiently as they should. Well, it's it's like what you're saying. Like it's so based on Giannis dominating his matchup. And he's still getting points, but he's not just overwhelmingly dominating Kawhi. And then he's not getting in the transition. Mm-hmm. And so Giannis is getting like just slowed down a bit, and that's holding everyone else back. To me, the thing like I'm saying with the Bucks, like if you have Giannis as your center, then like to get Kawhi off him, you got to put him in a pick and roll. So if Giannis is the screener, who's the guard? I I saw a couple times he had Bledsoe running that play, and it's like if you have Bledsoe as the guard in that two man game with Giannis, they're just gonna go under that and let him shoot all day. Right. So to me, it's like finding ways to get Middleton and Brogdon in the two man game with Giannis in space. That I think is the big adjustment for Milwaukee. Is right. get Kawhi get Kawhi off him. Then you have Middleton or Brogdon making the decision to shoot or pass. So, I mean, we should give credit to the Raptors' defense oh, for yeah, probably for sure. affecting that. And I think Kawhi was one of the big adjustments, putting him on uh, Giannis even more than he had been. Uh, but they also put Siakam on Bledsoe. So, I, I mean, defensively I mean, overall, like, was it just a Kawhi thing in your mind or was it? I mean, too, they've had, like, also Lowry's been guarding Middleton. Middleton's two, was two for nine in this game. Right. And he's supposed to be your second guy. So they're, they're slowing down Giannis. They're slowing down Middleton. And then everyone else kind of eats off those two normally. Yeah. And so if those two aren't getting theirs, then it's kind of like things, it looks stagnant because you your, your guys who create shots for everyone else aren't creating them. Let's talk about Middleton briefly. My guy. You are the president I, of I, the I, Chris I keep my keep my faith. <laughs> I'll never let go of that one. Is he from Texas too? A&M. Yeah, he went to A&M. Oh, did he really? Yeah. <laughs> this is all, I sense a theme here, my man. Um, all right. So I think for a while, the rest of the ringer staff has been measured on Chris Middleton. I think yeah. we used to do those uh, those top uh, 30 players at, at certain check marks in the season. And it was always funny to look at the individual kind of rankings because all of us were somewhere in the middle on Chris Middleton. Yeah. <laughs> Yours is always really high. My you, guy. You wrote about him. And clearly he has hit another level this season. Uh, he made the all-star team. He's in a contract year, which I'm sure provides some semblance of motivation but throughout, it does seem like they need a competent number two to go to, more of a consistent number two. And I'm starting to get some Siakam vibes from him where perhaps he's not up to the moment. Yeah, he's not been consistent. So he had like the big scoring game in game four. Then this game, he had 10 assists, but only had six points. So it's like consistent. It's like that consistent scoring, shooting, and and creating for other people. It's like all, having all three of those things together. Like to me, if I'm looking at the Bucks. I think you've got, it's just three guys are Giannis, Brogdon, Middleton. You've mm-hmm. got to play them more minutes. That, that team, you go into a game six on the road. You've got to shorten your rotation. You've got to play your best players. Like, there are just way too many minutes in this game where you don't have, the luck of the numbers, If when those three guards are all in together, when you have three guys, Giannis, Middleton, Brogdon, they're like plus 35 in the first four games. But like, in this rotation the Bud has, he's always taking one out. He's rotating guys. He gave 10 guys minutes in this game. To me, it's too late in the, too late in the series to play so many guys off your bench. This is like go time. You look at the Raptors, they only, they only play eight guys right now. You have the guys you trust and you go with them. You wrote them, wrote them as many minutes as you can possibly play them. Yeah, and this is what Bud got dinged for in that game one loss to the Celtics, right? Yeah. We, we all of a sudden started criticizing him for perhaps not playing playoff basketball because apparently it's a pop thing to kind of, in, in the face of adversity, sticking to what has worked for you. And the logic, while I don't know specifically what he's following, it does seem sound, right? Yeah. Like if you play it's worked all season doing it. If you play fewer minutes, theoretically, your best players will be like fresher. Not only if the series goes long, but in the in the entire game. There are statistics that 
an analytics that all these teams have at this point. If they don't, they're probably way far behind that says a player's maximum minutes is X. And after that point, it's all diminishing returns. So I get where he's coming from, but it does feel like Bud is someone who's sticking to these traditional values. Whereas Nick Nurse has kind of emerged in these in this postseason and even in the regular season is kind of a maverick. Yeah, hey. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, he's just being aggressive. That's the thing about Nurse as a coach. He's like, he's aggressively looking for the right lineups. He's aggressively trying things and he's maneuvering quickly. I feel like with like with like Buddy, even something as simple as like game four with Brogdon, and they kept him on that bench to the extra game. Oh, because it's worked well in the season. Like we don't but you went to it in game five because you know that's your best lineup. So why waste the extra game by not going to You're it? You're teasing me with this Brogdon talk. Do, do you want to just go full bore into it? <laughs> yeah, future Dallas Maverick, Malcolm Brogdon. Future <laughs> Dallas Maverick, Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, I think we are all sipping the Kool-Aid for one Malcolm Brogdon. In, we were talking about Chris Middleton perhaps not being their second best player. I'm starting to think that Brogdon is, if not their second best player, then perhaps their second most important player. I mean, he's been the best guy to guard Kawhi. He's done a much better job than Middleton. He never, the other thing too, like Brogdon... Brogdon, he doesn't miss open, miss open shots and he doesn't take turn the ball over too often. So this is Brogdon. he did have that big turnover off his leg at the, in the 29 second mark. Right. Well, you know, you can't blame can't, him for having yeah. legs, you know? <laughs> he almost artfully dodged that that bounce. That's true. He got the call the first time. <laughs> he High did. IQ player. <laughs> right. So he ends up with 18 points, 11 rebounds for our guy Malcolm Brogdon that leads the team. Six assists, eight for 17 from the floor, two for six from three. But, you know, the entire Bucks team wasn't shooting particularly well from three-point land, 10 for 31 on this game. And so I guess if you have some hope going forward, like a lot of those shots, this is a plus three-point shooting team. So yeah. it was funny because I think there's some turning in our slack that a lot of these shooters just weren't making it. Our, our intrepid producer, Bobby Wagner, suggested that the Eastern Conference Finals is going to come down to a three-point war between... Marcus All and Brooke Lopez. You hate to see it. <laughs> do you though? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah, most of the time you do hate to see it. We got our seven for three hundred pound Euro stepping guard, Brooke Lopez, <laughs> taking the ball of the cup. It is crazy. Softly to see laying it. in, finger rolling it in. But Gasol, like, had one of his better games of the year. Shooting still dreadful. One for six. That offensive board, though, was his play of the game. But they're down, they were up three with like 25 seconds left and he got the board on, on Lopez. Somehow Lopez gets the seal. But Gasol stands him up, essentially, yeah. in the biggest possession of the game that Giannis just happens to not be out there because he rolled an ankle, like, the possession before. Which is the other thing, like, going back to, like, buttonholes, like, you've got to... Let's call a timeout there, keep on the floor. <sighs> yeah, the timeout was questionable. And also, let's talk about how Kawhi is playing through basically not having one leg. <laughs> and then Giannis can't just, like, limp for a little bit. Like, yeah. <laughs> like is, this a, is this a bad take like I feel like Giannis this is the biggest game of your career maybe just like suck it up a little bit we'll, we'll be okay just figure it out like yeah Kawhi's figuring let's go ahead Kawhi and stay has the floor. gangrene over here <laughs> and Giannis can't sit through a boo-boo is <laughs> this what to you're Ringer. telling me welcome to Ringer Talk Radio <laughs> yeah well it's almost 9pm on a wet on the west coast so things are getting <laughs> pretty loose this is the point where Bobby knows that the podcast starts to turn from the worst um, no okay let's talk about going forward what's the adjustment here? Do they even need to make adjustments if you're the Bucs? I mean, to me, the adjustment is you quite, like, especially on the road at game six, like, this is going to be such a high-pressure game. You've got to go with your best players. Like, I'm, I'm tend to be on the more aggressive side of things when it comes to minutes in the playoffs, but like, I'm, go, I'm telling Giannis, you're not coming out tomorrow on, what's it, Saturday? Mm -hmm. You're not coming out. You're going 48. I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving Middleton 40. I'm giving Brogdon 40, 45. I'm playing those three guys as much as they possibly can. This is the season... I'm not having Pat Connaughton, Sterling Brown, like or Ilyasova. Like this rotation is getting cut to like six, seven guys, and we're playing our best players. If we're playing our best players. I mean, they, they beat us. They beat us. But I'm not letting them beat my my second string guys. Yeah, I mean, on Gian the road, Giannis's postseason high right now is 44 for this postseason, and that wasn't an overtime game, wasn't it? That was in a double overtime yeah. game. Otherwise, playing 51 in that game, like this is go for it. Right. Like Nick Nurse is going to like run Kawhi into the ground to win this series. He doesn't care. <laughs> well, he also doesn't have to deal with the repercussions because Kawhi is going to leave, but oh. has to ride Giannis for hopefully like five or six more years. That's true. Um, but you're 23, man. Like, let's go for it. Now is the time to do it. Yeah. I mean, it, it is interesting to see it because uh, even though the Raptors are the older team, and perhaps that's what it is. Maybe they're older. They have more desperation. They know that this is the window. Like, Marcus Gasol is not getting another chance at the NBA Finals. Yeah, this is Kyle, Kyle Lowry's Lowry, last stand, yeah. Probably not getting a chance at the Finals. So you're probably more willing to play through an injury or two 
if you know. It's that classic thing where we consistently think that when a young team breaks through that this is the start of something, where the Thunder probably thought they were going to the NBA Finals like four straight yeah. times uh, with that core. All of a sudden, James Harden isn't there. A couple injuries happen, and then it all fall, falls apart where you lose all three, well, two of the three MVPs that you have. Yeah, and then like an older guys know like the value of each game. Like the Bucks, they were up, they were they had game three one, right? They lost on double overtime. That's three oh in the series. And it's like, but like when these older guys, they know they've been around. This is it. We're going for it right now. I mean, let's talk about like with LeBron. Like LeBron would go 40. He went 48 minutes last year in a game seven. Like LeBron was like 34. Right. 48 minutes. That's how like at this level of the playoffs, like every minute matters. You gotta go, you have to have good lineups all the time. You need your best ones for all the time. You can't afford your best players not to be out of the game. Yeah. And like LeBron can do it at 34. Let's see. I want to see Giannis at 48 minutes. I want to see him getting better matchups. Like, cause like if Giannis is playing 48 minutes, Kawhi can guard him that whole time. Yeah. That's that's freeing him up for more opportunities. Yeah. I mean, even though this is perhaps the coronation of Giannis, it's interesting because the one thing we've been talking about lately is just how how much of a window does this Bucks core really have? So if you look at the roster, a lot of these guys are younger. Brogdon is only in his third year, I believe. Um, you know, he's dealt with injuries, but who's to say? I mean, Milton's still late 20s. There's still some growth to be had here. But all of a sudden, there are a lot of free agents on this team. Middleton is unrestricted, probably going to take a max if you want to bring him back, which means that all of a sudden, the back year of that contract, maybe you're dealing with some decline years. Malcolm Brogdon, we're already talking about him as potential max restricted free well, agent. Well, we're talking about, to be fair, no one else is talking about that. <laughs> well, we're, we're starting it now, though. He's a restricted free agent. So if any team did want to pry him away from Milwaukee, like the one way you're probably going to get him to sign an offer sheet is is with a I'm saying I would I would deal. kill to have him as my third option in Dallas behind KP and Luca. That would be really nasty. I mean, how many three and D guys are there out there? Like yeah. competent, heady, three and, and not D three, guys not three and D guys, three and D guys who shoot 40, 50, 90. Yeah. Who can also pass the ball, who can guard Kawhi in a playoff series. Like there's a handful of guys in the league who can do that. To me, this series has been clarifying for the Bucks in terms of all these free agents. Like to me, this, the core of this team is Giannis, Middleton, Brogdon. Those are my three guys. I got Giannis and I got two two-way wings who can kind of do everything on the floor. Everyone else to me is like movable, is like replaceable, but that's my three-man group I'm riding with going forward. Well, I, gonna, I just don't know Milwaukee sees it that way. They're kind of going to be at a crossroads moment with filling out the rest of the roster this, this offseason because, well, one thing I wonder is in this series in particular, they've had so much success with Brooke Lopez. He does a lot of the things you'd want from a stretch four, let's say, yeah. next to Giannis. But he's probably going to take a bigger deal than they got him for this year. He, I mean, for sure, he's taking three million bucks this year. And he's the type of player that other teams will look at and be like, oh my God, he's like a revelation. We need to overpay him. And especially with there's so much money out on the market this summer, I do wonder if a team is going to throw him the bag, as the kids say. Okay, now that we're deep enough in this pod, I'm just going to go drop some more takes. But Please. like, you're talking about Oklahoma City, and I'm thinking that with Milwaukee in terms of Harden, where it's like, okay, we've got these all these young guys. We can let this one go. But I think if Milwaukee lets Brogdon is not as good as James Harden, I'll, I'll be somewhat reasonable here. But it's at that level, that role in the team, that's the third, the third guy. They could let him walk this summer and like really regret it down the road. And I think to me, that would be like the big tragedy of this if they lose him this summer. And like that's the third piece they needed going forward. They just don't have him anymore. I mean, and how are they going to recreate something like that? I yeah, mean, you don't find players like that. It's just, it's like, I feel like in the playoffs this level, it's all about finding guys. Like KOC did an article last week about that and how like guys, the holes in their game get exposed. Yeah. And there's just very few guys who have no holes in their game like that. And if you have one like Brogdon who can be a two-way player, an elite shooter off Giannis, you've got to keep him. I mean, the Bucks are traditionally not a, a sexy market. Maybe they'll have more uh, luck getting guys to play with Giannis. Although we said that about Anthony Davis and nobody really yeah. wanted to go play with him. Clearly different success and trajectories. But I mean, they, they got rid of a 2020 first round pick. They have their own this year, uh, but they did. But I mean, they might, that, that pick, I bet gets moved. I bet they, they try to package off like, cause they're paying Tony Snell $7 million a year. I mean, more than that, they're paying him like $12 million a year. It's funny because we're, we're reaching peak rumor season. We just started up the rumor monger live blog on the ringer.com. So check that out. Um, Let's please drop that rumor. <laughs> Bucks may package a number 30 pick to get off Tony Snell's salary. Well, it's funny because I, I opened up Hoops Hype today, which is my Bible. And the, the big picture was Tony Snell on the market. Like, as, like, this is the point where we are, where I will eat up any rumor, but you're really asking a lot of me to click on Tony Snell content. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Giannis only has two more seasons under contract. And as we've seen, 
any sort of disgruntled star conversation, uh, exit plan starts way sooner than we think. And I'll stop myself right here because we're getting very doom and gloom about the Milwaukee Bucks. But these are like... This is the time to overreact, Justin. This is, this is, they just lost a big game. We're yes. doing the after... We can think radically tomorrow. Let's overreact. <laughs> Ethan Strauss has this bit like, oh, what? who cares about overreacting? Overreact. This is what sports are for. This is... <laughs> right? like If we're not going to overreact, what are we doing this for? <laughs> so, as I was saying, Giannis is leaving. No, but I mean, he only has two more years on the contract. At the very least, you need to prove to him and this wasn't just the flash in the pan, like going back to the Anthony okay. Davis comp. Like everything seemed rosy in 2014-15 after they made that first playoff run, gave the Warriors a stern push, even though it was a four-game sweep. And always we thought everything would continue on. Things don't happen yeah, that way. True. And so you have both Miritich, you have Brooke Lopez up for free agency. I would be surprised at this point if both of them came back and perhaps neither of them will. And then you're left, well, maybe it's Ersan Ilyasova next, a guy that they signed longer yeah. than Brooke Lopez. Then he's the guy next to Giannis. And these are the little moves on the fringes where all of a sudden a Katie comes to New York, a Kyrie goes to Brooklyn, and everything is way tougher. And we're starting to look at this team a little bit differently. I think like these are like, it sounds extreme and it is, but these are the things that happen. Like the- it can all change on you real fast for sure. Life comes at you fast. <laughs> Okay, uh, let me. You want to go? Wise words from Charles. You want to go? You want to go with some real? Let's let's really fantasize. You're the Mavs. Uh huh. So the Mavs drafted. Uh, what was his name? The younger Antetokounmpo, Costas, mm-hmm. on Costas. the G League team. Yes, they did. And I'm saying, you know, you know, be perfect next to Giannis would be Luca. That would be the the best one too of all time. <laughs> you know who would be best next to to Giannis? Uh, another potential MVP candidate. But I mean, like you look at the Warriors, you have two of them guys on the same team, then you're going to win for sure. I That's bet you the level. it's a lot easier to get to Europe from Dallas than it is Milwaukee. Not to say anything about the Milwaukee transit system. I'm, I'm sure their airport is is quite lovely. We are the hub of American Airlines and Southwest. <laughs> I am we're, an, we're a real airport hub. I am an American flyer, my friend. I've been through Dallas plenty of time. I've gotten lost in that airport plenty of times. I've been to the Chili's too. Oh, Chili, yeah. Bobby? They don't serve bay back ribs there. Bobby, do you know about Chili's too? I don't. Okay, what? so it's like a Chili's. But it's two, it's T-O-O, which means that it's not a proper Chili's. It's like Chili's also. Oh, so it's like we're not going to get sued type of Chili's. No, 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 no it's, it's, still, Chili's. it's a Chili's brand. Oh, it's, okay. But it's true. But, I, last but it's not I like there, a full Chili's. It's a smaller Chili's. They didn't have baby back ribs. I, gotta I was, tell I was you like, what, I, what is going on here? How is it even Chili's? Are you kidding me? I gotta me? tell you what I didn't bargain for was airport food talk. What's your favorite airport food, Bobby? Like when you go through the airport, so I always have something that like I know that is probably unhealthy, but not going to kill me. Orange Chicken Panda Express. Oh, God, that is my weakness. <laughs> I love Orange Chicken, man. This has been a good talk, guys. I'm, I'm glad we, we ended up here. So long story short, how are we feeling about the, the Bucks' chances in this game six? You seem optimistic. I think, there, I think there are moves they can make to win this game. Okay. Will they, where they make them, I don't know. What are those moves? I mean, just shorten the rotation. I think get Giannis and pick and rolls with Brogdon and Middleton, and just like run your, run those guys, run your best players, and see how far it gets you. Like, and if you're gonna switch, like there was, they were switching in the fourth quarter, and they're switching Lopez and Ilyasova onto Kawhi. If you're gonna switch, you got to play your lineup where you go. They never play this lineup. They go, uh, their small one, Bledsoe, Hill, Brogdon, Middleton, Giannis. I was waiting for you. To if get you're to gonna it. switch, like that's you got to play. You got to yeah. guys who can switch. Otherwise, if you're switching to get Ilyasova on Kawhi, like that's just crazy. I mean, or, could or you Brooke on Kawhi? If you don't want to go that small, could you even just play Miritich? Like, it's yeah, Miritich, he's more Giannis? he's more switchable. I mean, I mean, he did fine playing next to Anthony Davis for all those years. They don't. It just seems like he's been diminished. Well, because he he came off basically like they put Brogdon back in the starting lineup. I put Meritage on the bench and now he's playing with Ilyasova and it's like, you need two of those guys on the floor at the same time? I mean, not really. No, neither of them has been particularly effective. Okay, and let's look at the other side of this here. Is it just, at this point for the Raptors, you just ride your best seven guys on the floor? Because they did play eight guys, but Ibaka only got 19 minutes, wasn't particularly effective. Norm Powell minutes are hit and miss. He's basically a warm body for a lot of the time. He had a big game the other day, but I, I'm just not a big normal. I mean, leader. you're just you're just finding guys who can shoot around Kawhi. That's what it comes down to. So like, Green's not shooting, bring in Van Vliet. Van Vliet's not shooting, bring in Powell. And you're rotating through your guards because you know Kawhi's going to score. And now he's passing the ball too. So it's, it's pretty simple. It's like, you're just finding your guys who can space the floor for Kawhi. I think the one thing I worry about with Toronto is like, 
but Milwaukee's really playing off Siakam. And so when they're playing the bigger lineups where you have Siakam and Gasol together or Siakam and Ibaka, they're playing off two guys, let some crowd Kawhi. So to me, it's like, like you're going to space, you're spacing it for Kawhi as much as you can and you're trusting your defense to carry the rest of the way. Yeah. All right. We'll see what happens in game six on Saturday. Uh, we're going to take a quick break uh, and we're going to come back and talk about all NBA and we're going to get to know Jonathan Sharks a little bit better. Oh, now there, there's your, there's your teaser. Let's talk about all NBA. Talking Coming about up next, <laughs> talking to all NBA. I'll tell you why. Malcolm Brogdon should have been a third team selection. Today's episode of the Ringer NBA show is brought to you by Capital One. Capital One knows life doesn't alert you about your credit card. That's why we created Eno, the Capital One assistant that catches things that might look wrong with your credit card, like over tipping, duplicate charges, or potential fraud. Then it sends an alert to your phone and helps you fix it. It's another way Capital One is watching out for your money when you're not. Capital One, what's in your wallet? See CapitalOne.com for details. Turo is a peer-to-peer car-sharing marketplace where you can book any car you want whenever you want from the community of local hosts. Like me and my wife, we sit all the time for uh, vacations. It saves a bunch of money. You don't have to Uber around. You can pick. It's super It's super easy. Usually it's at the airport, right next to the airport, the Turo car. You pick it up. I mean, you drive for three days. It's like a rental car, but it's just cheaper. I mean, it's just it's a great deal. Like, there's really, for me, no reason to use a rental car company if I can, like, save money and get a better car with Turo. You can get any kind of car you want. You can get like a super nice car like a Tesla. If you're a blogger like me, drive like a Toyota if you're feeling, you know, a little fancy. And yeah, it's, it's great. There's insurance for every trip. Skip the rental car with Turo. So download the Turo app. It's T-U-R-O on the App Store, Google Play, or visit Turo.com and get 25 bucks off. Use the cro- promo code RINGER25. Terms apply. We're also brought to you by Helix. There's nobody on the planet like you, so why would you buy a generic mattress built for everyone else? Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, hot sleeper, like a plush or firm bed with Helix, there's no more confusion and no more compromising. Helix Sleep was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by GQ and Wired Magazine. And CNN called it the most comfortable mattress they've ever slept on. Just go to helixsleep.com slash ringer. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. And for couples, Helix can even split the mattress down the middle, providing individual support needs and feel preferences for each side. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights, risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will! Helix is offering up to $125 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash ringer. That's helixsleep.com slash ringer for up to $125 off your mattress order. All right, we're back. We just talked about the Eastern Conference Finals. Unfortunately, we do not have any Western Conference action to go through anymore. The Blazers, we're not up to the task. Doing us blog boys a favor, though. Letting us have a couple <laughs> days off. I got to tell you, that Wednesday night was was lovely. <laughs> I had myself a night. Bobby had a nice, he drew himself a nice bath. <laughs> a little Keontae action. A little Marvin Gaye. Y'all need it sometimes. Yeah. I'm just telling you. I wish Self-care. that was every Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but we're going to talk about all NBA voting because those results uh, were distributed to the masses today. The first team... Steph Curry, Harden, Giannis, Paul George, Nikola Jokic. No surprises, really, except for perhaps that center spot. I want to get back to that. Second team, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, perhaps the two dominant players of this playoff so far. Somehow, this is how they ended up in the regular season. Joel Embiid in that second team center spot. Third team, Russell Westbrook, Kemba Walker, hailing from the great state, well, of New York, but he played at UConn. Uh, Blake Griffin, LeBron James, uh, your third team forward. $50 million to Kemba Walker making that team. And then Rudy Gobert. Let me set it up, man. You're you're jumping ahead. I'm already thinking about Kemba's money, man. That's just so much. (laughs) You're already counting that cash. Yeah. Uh, You talked about this today with Kevin O'Connor and Bill Simmons on the Bill Simmons podcast. Uh, But I still want to go through some of the results here. For you, is the takeaway just Kemba? I mean, I feel like the implications are so big for the Hornets, for him. Yeah, it's fun to talk about the teams and the players and argue about it, but like there's no real real world implications normally. But like this is major. Now you're Charlotte, you're looking at you gotta pay this guy $220 million because he made this team. 
what do you even do? Do you let him go? But like, if he's, how can they really build around him at that kind of salary point? Right. They, they don't have a lot of money coming off the books this next off season. So they're pretty much committed to what they have thus far. Now, toward the end of this season, I definitely saw that they started to lean more into a youth movement. You saw a little bit more Dwayne Bacon, who I don't know going forward if he's going to be a guy for you, but Miles Bridges, clearly yeah. a first round pick. Uh, it seems like he showed some stuff. I liked how the fact that he didn't make the all rookie team and people were probably defending him and actually like asking why he didn't make it. And he's like, no, I, I was actually didn't deserve it. I played like trash, but I'm going to be better next year. The only thing better than that, if he had not tweeted at all, that would really impress me. <laughs> <laughs> if he's that's, the, that's the takeaway. Always. If he's going to, if he's going to tweet, that's a reasonable tweet. But if he was really about that life, like no tweets, Kawhi out here tweeting about nothing. Yeah. So on the one hand with Kemba, I feel like the Hornets probably did a hard swallow just based on the fact that if they want to keep him, they're going to have to pay him that, what, $80 million more? I think, I think it's, it's, 50, it's 50 something crazy. Some, something absurd. That's going to be on the table and he's going to be expecting it if you, if you want him to Because, yeah, it's like, if I'm going to stay here, you got to get me all my money for sure. <laughs> for sure. Uh, on the other hand, it provides an interesting dilemma for Kemba himself because all of a sudden he's choosing now between an ungodly amount of money and perhaps going to a situation that he's never played in before. There are a lot of suitors out there for him. And while I think they're going to be, there's going to be some fluctuation with the point guard market. It does seem like maybe a guy like Kyle Lowry, the Kawhi leaves. And then all of a sudden, maybe they look to trade him or maybe he wants a buyout. He wants to go play for a team. There's a lot, a lot that could happen, but Kemba's really that next guy. If you don't get Kyrie, yeah. Just get a guy who offensively can approximate what, what Kyrie brings you. Perhaps not a, like even a bigger liability on the defensive end, but he can help a team out. The Clippers would love to have Kemba playing with Kawhi, for instance. I mean, it does kind of seem like Kemba and Kyrie are linked. And then you have like LeBron and Durant and like possibly there's going to be some combination of those four guys, right? Mm-hmm. You could see like if, if it's Katie and Kyrie in New York, then like could Kemba take the max spot on the Lakers? Or if Kyrie goes back to LA play with LeBron, all of a sudden it's Kemba and Kyrie in New York. It feels like a natural fit for one of those guys. I personally want to see him in Madison Square Garden. Just the the good vibes of like potentially recreating the iconic uh, step back on Pittsburgh moment that I have running through my mind all the time and perhaps on my computer once a week. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, the five overtimes, whatever it was. Syracuse. I also think it would be really, uh, yeah, with Syracuse, which... I have to say, I people always bring up the fact that Syracuse won that game. When you get to five overtimes, is it really basketball anymore? Yeah, you just you just played that much basketball. It's impressive. It's it's a war of attrition. Yeah. It's a different game. I will go down to my death defending this point. Um, no, but I think it's interesting. I think in addition to probably like just being accepted by that crowd immediately, you have Jesus and Mero pretty much being out there beckoning Kemba to to New York. On the other hand, it creates this interesting dynamic where I think Kemba would be instantly beloved in New York. Whereas Kevin Durant perhaps would leave the Warriors seeking some sort of validation and yeah. would have to con- now contend with Kemba Walker, another small point guard and uh, three-point shooter who probably instantly becomes the guy there. You know what it is, man? It's the last temptation of Kemba Walker, right? <laughs> yeah. You want to play relevant basketball or do you want all this money? That's how life works sometimes, Justin. Like the money is one thing, <laughs> but it's always the best choice for your life. Like yeah. do you want to base everything based on money? I mean, there's consequences to that, but it is a lot of money. So yeah. I can't ever hate a guy for taking his cash. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely always take the money. So <laughs> and, uh, my point exactly. <laughs> I rest my case. Now, what's the, what team would you want to mostly come to play on? I think either playing with LeBron or KD, one of the two. That would just be awesome. Because then it could be like, could Kemba be a Kyrie? I mean, my gosh, who has Kemba ever played with in his life on these teams, right? This is my favorite parlor game. Like, who is Kemba's best teammate? Yeah, it's like, like we did the, we did the math when we were looking at it. Like, it's either, don't laugh. Like, it's Josh McRoberts that one year <laughs> when they made the playoffs. It's definitely not Josh McRoberts. Or it's him or Al Jefferson. Or, or oh, Al Jefferson Al had Jefferson. one good season Kemba was there, I guess, that year. It was, one, it was, was one playoff run. The playoff run where Jeremy Lin was on that team, like Lin had a pretty good season that year where they were playing off each other and playing two guard, like Lin, two guy, attacking point guards. A guy together who can't even get minutes were. in the series, Jeremy. Well, Lin. he's older now. Yeah. He, Kemba caught him at his, well, not his peak, but maybe like his slightly post peak. Yeah, he got like a, he had like Nick Batum before Nick Batum fell off real hard. The one Nick Batum season before he got his own bag. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He was very good. Batum was probably the best player on that team. This was before Kemba really became the Kemba we have now because he probably wasn't shooting as proficiently from three-point as he was, as he is now. 
he's basically Steph Light at this point. For a while, he couldn't even really hit threes. Um, that's a really good question. Marvin Williams was also very good on that team. Now we're just naming Hornets, <laughs> <laughs> who most of which are still on the they're, team. They're still hanging around. Yeah, yeah. All getting paid really well. So props to MJ <laughs> for paying those guys. There you go. But I, I think it would be cool to see Kemba in a number two role off a player like LeBron. Like that would just be be an interest. It'd be interesting when it, it change of his career, change his kind of path. Selfishly, I want to see him on the Clippers. Like, if it's not New York, I do want to see him play off of Kawhi. I just think, like, everything they have there, I don't know what it means for Landry Shamit. They kind of have uh, un, un, that shooting guard spot locked down. Actually, both guard spots locked down for the foreseeable future if you just wanted to bring Kawhi in there and build around there. But I don't know. I, I think he just needs a stage, and it, it would be great to see that. I think everyone is rooting against the Hornets, which must be a really tough thing if you're a Hornets fan. I mean, at least I know you exist, I guess, right? Right. But then once Kemba, it's tough though for the Hornets because, like, if Kemba leaves, then you're like doing 2011 all over again. And you're, when, you, when they tanked for MKG, it's like, it's like, how can you have any confidence in an organization to rebuild after what they've done the last decade? I remember when, so I covered the uh, the Hornets playoff series against the Miami Heat. And I Ooh, that was a brutal one. <laughs> well, uh, it went seven games. Yeah. And if you're a traveling beat writer, that meant I got three separate stays on South Beach. So oh, that's fair. I begged a different. I almost got to go to Toronto. Yeah, it's a nice little, a nice flight, six. like a Charlotte, Miami. It's real quick. It's yeah. a nice flight. It was great. I had a, I had a lovely time. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Damian Lillard, uh, the other guy that is, had some in, interesting implications here. Also super max eligible. Paulo Getty wrote about it for the ringer earlier this week. Uh, it seems like this one's a more cut and dry decision. It just seems like, the Blazers are back to square one. They're back to where they were, were last offseason and the two before that, where we know that what they have works to a certain degree, but can it get past what it already is? I think for me, when you're looking at where Portland, Portland is and where they want to go, it's almost like you don't even worry. It's like you go even beyond like rosters. It's like, like I've got Dame. Can Dame convince someone else to come play with him in Portland? Mm-hmm. And if he can... Well, then we'll move players, we'll move contracts, we'll trade picks, we'll get off guys, and we'll bring. Like, could Dame talk to Jimmy Butler and say, "Come play in Portland"? I don't know if that would work, but that's what has to happen. He has to convince a star to come play with him, and or maybe like, you know, like Kawhi, like, Dame needs another player like that. How are they going to get him? I don't know. I guess if you're an optimist, you look at some of the progress that Zach Collins has made. I mean, you know, I love me some Zach Collins. <laughs> I, I mean, no, no question about it. But like, for it's really, it's like, can Zach Collins become the trade piece that gets? Like when a Jimmy Butler becomes available or when a Kawhi becomes available in a trade. If you're Portland, realistically, you're never going to get those guys to come. Mm-hmm. You've got to trade for them. you got to figure out a way to get, like package like CJ, Zach Collins, and like Anthony Simons and try to go after a star. That's not bad. I mean, it's a package. And I think for up until then, you could tread water with uh, like a Collins, Nurkic front court. It doesn't seem like Aminu is like it. He might come back, but they do have some luxury tax. Yeah, they've got a real like weird cap situation coming up. Yeah, and then Rodney Hood is another guy who, if if you really want to invest some of the few dollars that you have available to you, do you want to like pad out your wing, especially the way that uh, both Aminu and Harkless shot during this postseason? I think it's an interesting conversation to have there. I don't know. I mean, Cantor is another guy they could bring back. I am I am optimistic that if Nurkic can get back in there, and you're looking at a Nurkic Collins front court. I don't think they lose that much. I think we're. I think a, there's a lot of cynicism and pessimism around what the Blazers can be next season, but it does feel like they've baked in some escape valves into what they already have. Yes, they are capped out, and if Lillard is making 35% of your cap, if CJ McCollum, uh, is he making max? He's making close to max. He's, I that. think he's up for an extension, too, if they want to give him one. So they keep paying their guys money, and on the one hand... That's just a, a direct route to never really changing what they have. But what they have works. It's just they need to they need to strike gold on the fringes, which like you could say for most teams. Like yeah. and until then, don't you just want to like win basketball? Like look what Dame did this postseason. Yeah, he, he ran out of gas eventually, but he gave you the most iconic moment in recent playoff history. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things too, where like you see just like how rare it is to the conference finals for most teams. And like, think about how, think about like Damon hit that shot against Oklahoma City. They had had the game seven against Denver just to get to the conference finals. Like we were talking about with the Raptors, how like this was Marc Gasol. This is the biggest game of his career. And you think, oh, well, he's been around forever, but he's been on a lot of good teams. But he made the conference finals once and then he was swept in the conference finals. By the, I forget who it was. But like, that's how like, you get to game five, game six, game seven of the conference finals. Like that's such a rare thing. 
Was it the so Thunder? Much, it was the Thunder, I think. No, the Thunder, maybe. No, it might have been the Spurs. Yeah, it might, it might have been the year when, the, when they went to the finals and beat the Heat. I love that Grizzlies team, though. Yeah, that well, that was that was the year that Westbrook got hurt and got in the conference finals. That's right. That's right. And that's the thing is like, unless your team has like multiple superstars, like the Warriors, which it's a given they're going to make that far. Most teams, everything has to go right. Yeah. Well, look at the Grizzlies. That Grizzlies team yeah. is an interesting parallel to what the Blazers have. They they didn't get farther than that one conference finals, sure, but we kind of revere that team and what they built and what they meant to like even. Not just Memphis and Memphis basketball, but just like the NBA at large, they really defined a certain era. Yeah, I mean, they were like they like stood in as like the last of a dying breed. Like they're gonna, you're going to remember them, and I think too, like with with all these teams, like if you just create a team that gets to playoffs for a bunch of years and has big series, that's all you remember down the line. Like that's where you make you know, there's a playoffs. Everyone's paying attention to you. Yeah, I mean, I think if you were to ask a Blazers fan, they would say all that extra money and perhaps not having that much more of a ceiling is worth it when you have moments like these. I guess, I guess the other thing to keep in mind, so Paul Allen died this year. Paul Allen, that the Blazers owner, he was always one of the most, um, he, didn't, he did not mind spending a bunch of money. You could go to Paul Allen and say, I'm going to pay $250 million to Allen Crabb, Myers Leonard, Evan Turner. <laughs> and he said, all right, let's do it. We're going to make this team. Yeah. Most owners would be like, uh, like few owners will pay the luxury tax. So now Paul Allen's died. His sister runs a team in like ab- in absentia. She doesn't seem like she's a very committed owner. So that'll be something really interesting to watch. And it's like you forget the value of an owner for these kind of organizations, but you got to spend money to compete. Especially like because you may, if you if you don't spend money, it's just a little margin for error. You make one mistake and there's no chance. I mean, you remember like Dame Demand talked to Paul Allen about the uh, about like Will last Barton. year. What about Will Barton? Though? Yeah, he was like, "What happened to my trade? Why did you trade my guy, Will Barton?" Right? Yeah. It's like the owner does matter at a certain level, and so. For Portland, that's something else to watch is how do that how does that if that team ends up getting sold, how does that affect everything? Like you look at Houston, the guy for Tita bought it this year and cut payroll a lot, and that changed everything for them. Yeah, they had to dodge the luxury tax, although they I don't think they've ever remitted it, but it seemed like pretty clearly that Yeah, we a lot can of like the follow the transaction. It's not hard to figure it out. Maneuvers, yeah. You don't you don't give up a first round pick to get off of Brandon Knight's contract and unless you want to dodge yeah. some luxury tax payments. Yeah, so it, it's, it's it's interesting to see that. Um I'm a believer. But I guess we'll find out. Uh, any other kind of takeaways from these three teams? Are there any like guys that you like particularly objected to, either making that spot or perhaps not being on the first team? Like the one that jumps out to me is after watching Kawhi Leonard in this playoffs, the fact that he did not make first team and Paul George did. I mean, I get it because Kawhi only played like sixty games this year. But to me, like having George over KD, like. I just feel like, what are we even doing here? Like, is there anyone think Paul George is better than Kevin Durant? Kevin Durant was incredible this year. Well, he, he was like averaging career high in assists. He was carrying the Warriors and stuff was out. Like, he was a two-way player. He's seven feet tall. He's just better than Paul George. That's me with these awards sometimes. I'm like, well, who even cares? Yeah, well, that's the the kind of question that that all NBA begs. Is it a snapshot of this season? Or should it be who we think is the best at this time? I know some people look at MVP as uh, that sort of voting as uh, you base that on specifically how that player did this season, what he meant to his team. This is more about, is he the best at his position? And it's really hard, as you mentioned, to to vote against Kevin Durant. Yeah. Especially considering what he did before he got hurt here. What I thought was interesting is that there weren't a lot of disagreements in the voting. It seemed like there was pretty clear-cut options. And though perhaps like maybe you would have Kawhi in the first line and some would probably have him on the second. All of the 15 guys were widely agreed upon. It seemed like the only spot where there's some like uh, some sort of like disagreement was on those last two guard spots. Yeah. Obviously, Clay Thompson did not take his rejection to not making the third team all that well. I mean, I guess that's another thing too. Talk about big implications. It's saving Golden State so much money. Cause like it's saving them a super max for Clay. That's that's actually like now I think about it, really big because that changes like their long term payroll situation a lot. Like that's like because they're under the repeater tax, so extra thirty million. Thirty million is like sixty million. Mm-hmm. It's so weird how that works. Like the the Warriors are probably celebrating their butt off today. The owners, the guys in the front office, and ownership. Yeah, and I mean Draymond, he memorably said that he was going to go for a supermax. He, he didn't get he didn't get the defensive player of the year, so that's not happening. He now did not get defensive player of the year. He did not get all NBA. But that was like so they're checking off all these extra payments, which considering that they're moving across the bay and opening the Chase Center, they don't need any of this money. They're going to print money. And if they aren't already, they're going to print more of it. 
pretty soon, but they are kind of getting off here. And I think too, like what we were saying, like, what are we doing here? Like with Clay, like to me, there is not, there's not six guards who'd rather have in a playoff series than Clay. There's like two or three, like consistently every year. Like Clay had some quote where he was like, you know, if you go to the finals every year, you can't have two or three guys. You've got to have a lot of really good players on your team. And I yeah. feel like Clay's value to a winning team is so much higher than like Westbrook even. Or I mean, just like what Clay brings to a court in a playoff series is so valuable to me. He's like a super Malcolm Brogdon. Can I say, can I give higher praise? <laughs> I don't know if that's praise, but I, I guess if you made it this far in the podcast, it, yeah. it should seem... We're just talking to ourselves here, Justin. Let's, let's be real. <laughs> no, I, you're right. I, there aren't six guards better than Clay Thompson. He didn't even finish better than Bradley Beal. Uh, I think it's interesting because... So the real advantage the Warriors have in keeping him now is just that extra fifth year. Otherwise, the money is is similar enough. So... It does open the door if he did ever want to consider playing on his own team, seeing what it would be like to be his own Bradley Beal in name a team, Dallas, for instance. I do wonder that the 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 it's a more level playing field. I would think if he'd go somewhere, it'd be the Lakers. And he could be like playing off LeBron and LeBron could be like, I'll just feed you open shots all the time. That's a pretty interesting situation because LeBron is only gonna be LeBron for another year. Maybe he's not that already. I want so the team is yours and yet you get to play with a young cat a young supporting cast that we'll see what they become but like that's the building of something you can at the very least turn it into something in a trade and you still have LeBron orchestrating it and perhaps you could sell him or he could sell you on being that guy. There's reports today that we saw that he's already recruiting uh Jimmy Butler for that same sort of situation. Yeah, you know LeBron's blowing up texts all over. <laughs> Whoever he can get to come in here. Well, he did show up at the practice facility the other day for the for the Frank Vogel press conference. And as Brian Windhorst said, I believe on on just like a video clip on ESPN, that like that is a pretty big deal for LeBron. He doesn't typically show up in these sorts of situations. He doesn't make his presence known. One and by just by being there, he is sending a message both to. The organization, perhaps to the world at large, that he's willing to play more of a role in in bringing this team up. Now, the flip side of that is he better because I don't know what else you're selling to free agents other than perhaps being like his next guy and, and feeding off of him and still reaping the the notoriety, perhaps. Well, that's what Magic said. I thought all the things he was saying was the one where he's like, hey, never cut anyone out. You put LeBron in a room with someone, he can like convince them. It's like, what, what is like LeBron's selling point now? Like, how is he going to bring, can he bring a younger star to come and play with him? Like, can he like sell it on being, I'm the older guy, I'm the mentor, I'll play off you. And it's like, it, like this is like his chance. Where Kobe in the end of his Lakers career was like, I'm still the best player. I want to dominate the ball. Like, I can't accept being in a smaller role. It's like, can LeBron accept that? Can LeBron convince someone he will take a step back? He will kind of follow in line. Like LeBron probably talked to Kawhi this summer. Can he convince Kawhi that I'll be your number two? I don't know. Well, I mean, if you want to like take advice from anybody on how to build a consistent winner, it's Magic Johnson. So, so um, LeBron made third team All NBA. That's one thing I did want to talk about. I had been advocating for Lamarcus Aldridge, probably the least sexy pick you could ever. I think Bill made that. Bill voted that. He voted Aldridge over LeBron. I may have also tweeted this. I don't know if you've you've been to Twitter.com lately. <laughs> Um, but no, I, I just think considering how few games that LeBron played, I think it was fair to leave him off a team for a guy in Aldridge who was the best player on a playoff team. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things. If we're talking about voting, like I can't get too fired up about LaMarcus Aldridge making the team or not making the team. This is the, this is Al Horford last year for all-star, right? Like he was the best center on one of the, like a really good team. And because he's just not all that fun, nobody Well, cares. to me, like, but Aldridge, he doesn't defend like Horford. He doesn't pass like Horford. Like, Aldridge is a good player, but I don't That's think he's winning that much. He played 81 games for a playoff team. Yeah, but I didn't want to watch a lot of those games. So that's- <laughs> <laughs> but this is, this is the, the bizarre thing. Like, so many decisions, financial decisions. Anthony Davis did not get as much money as he could because he did not make All-NBA one year. It's happened to a lot of these guys. Yeah. Bradley Beal will not get as much money as he should for like playing on this like disaster of a team while John Wall, who won't play next year, most likely is going to make considerably more. 
it's just like it's insane yeah. that it comes down to the media dictating who gets the money, essentially. Well, we don't have any we don't have any votes. We can rail on the fake news media for how they're <laughs> but like I mean if I hear Bradley Beal and you're his agent, it's like I better start buttoning up these reporters. I mean, they're got this is direct money out of my pocket, how they're voting. Yeah. Uh so Brian Winhurst also has this quote about how a player could give each voting member of all NBA a hundred thousand dollars, and he would still come away with twenty million dollars extra if he were to make the Superman. I will happily be involved, implicated in a blogger <laughs> ethics story about this. <laughs> I mean, yeah, $100,000 is more enough to buy a few journalists, let me tell you. More than a few. <laughs> you can pretty much buy the industry. I use buy media companies these days for that kind of money. Okay, we're going to wrap it up here uh, with the segment that I have entitled Things I Want Sharks' Opinion On. So oh, as, we should have led with this. <laughs> we should have. Uh, so as you could probably tell from the top, Sharks has a lot of interesting takes. One of my favorite things to do is to slack Shark a topic and just to see his perspective on it. I, I oh, was man. I was eavesdropping on a Danny Chow phone call about our draft guide. And I don't know what they were talking about. But it got to the point where it was like, yeah, Sharks' opinions don't really conform to traditional, like what everyone else said. So I don't know if we could do that. And I was like, yes, love Sharks. Sure, sure. Um, okay. But I do want to get hit some a wide range of okay. topics here. Um, so who's your favorite prospect in the NBA draft? Let's we'll start there. I mean, Zion. Zion's so much fun. That doesn't to watch. count. That's that, okay. That's too too popular. Oh, uh, to go you want to go full full Sharks, I want you to lean in into your full self. Yeah, my, my, I think to me, the most interesting guy in this draft, I mean, Taylor Horton Tucker. You got like a 6'2", 240-pound guard. Okay. And like, is that going to work with a seven-foot wingspan? Where does he play? From Iowa State. Okay. <laughs> yeah, all, all the big prospects come from Iowa State. I'm sorry, they had actually, they had a good team this year. They were fun to watch. Mm-hmm. But like, Horton Tucker is like this, like, he's like if Eric Gordon was like even bigger. Danny called him a 6'4", Clarence Weatherspoon, which is like <laughs> this incredible comp. <laughs> He's just so much fun to watch. And it's like, I don't know if this guy's going to make it or not, but I'll be fun to watch like this fat guy try to jack up shots to make it as a little guard. You guys do a lot of great stuff on the Corner 3 podcast. Or I guess these days it's more of the long two. Usually one of us is out. <laughs> it's a, a less efficient podcast, but a, but a productive one nonetheless. Um, okay, so as you, as you probably heard earlier, Charks is a big fan of, of going smaller. You have advocated recently for Ben Simmons to be more of a, of a Draymond type that his future is at small ball center. And yeah, he should probably be traded, or they should make that happen more within their current construction. Um, so, which of these large forwards would not be better as a Ooh, small ball? Five? Not be. So we have Ben Simmons. Well, I've already, I've already blogged about it, so I can't go back on that now. It's it's in blog. Type. Yeah, it's it's been it's been solidified. <laughs> it's on the internet. Uh, Pascal Siakam. Ooh, you're bl- you're you're uh, spoiling future blogs here, Justin. No one's gonna get this far in the podcast. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> no, I like to see. I like to see him at the five. That'd be awesome. I mean, you think? I think in this series, you saw like when he's not playing on the ball, he can't shoot well enough. So you got to keep him involved in the play, which means using him as the role man, which means playing him with the five. Which we could see as soon as next season, or as soon as next series if they get past the the Bucks. We'll see it a lot against the Warriors. Okay, LeBron James. Ooh, maybe that's the end. The end point of his career, right? Right. Yeah, I mean that's that's basically what they had like drawn up going into. They were, the they were thinking they were going to do LeBron, yeah, LeBron and Kuzma at the five or something. Yeah, <laughs> right. Kuzma was the Shane Battier, although they just slid everything down a position. Yeah, so so LeBron at the five, I, I could see your eyes light up. Well, I think the really the guy at the five is Kevin Durant the five. I think mean, that's, that's if you're going to talk about guys at the five. Okay. Like KD, I can well, see, with LeBron or just in general? Well, in general, I, I could feel like KD could be like a great five of like 38. He kind of already does that, right? I guess Draymond takes Draymond all the takes responsibilities. Draymond takes most of that, yeah. But he is like, whenever he wanted to, especially in that Houston series, whenever he wanted to be like a amazing rim protector, he would just erase Clint Capella. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really tough. I really feel bad for KD being injured. He was playing at such a high level and now he gets injured. The team plays better, plays great without him. And people are already going to forget how great he was in the, during the season. And it's one of those things where, like, yeah, obviously the worst one, okay, they, they won 73 games without him. Like, uh, like, I guess, why are we that surprised that they're playing well without him? And I don't, I don't feel like it's a reflection on KD being out. It's just because, like, he joined this already great team. So what do you really expect when he's out? Let's go back to what they did before. Right. Uh, this one isn't all that interesting because I feel like we were talking about this years ago. This is Blake Griffin. He is the prototype. Of this, yeah. Five, I mean, right? he's, he's not much of a rim protector. He, he needs some like German knees, though. At this point, you know, <laughs> it's, it's tough, right? He needs that Kobe knee thing. Okay, th- this is my curveball here, Carmel Anthony. 
Could Carmelo come back? They tried. They tried. They tried it in Houston before he got like for a while. He was their backup five. Well, they also had a lot of other roster issues there. I wonder if like he's still a good enough shooter or good enough offensive player. If you could spot him a few minutes, like what are the Orlando Magic? Well, they have too many centers, so that's a bad example. But like, what are the Mavericks doing with their backup five next year? I mean, I don't know. Getting to Dwight Powell talk, we can we can definitely Dwight Dwight Powell opted out. He'll be back. They're gonna run. They'll run Kleber out there. I mean, Carmelo. It's it's over. It's, it's over for him, unfortunately. <sighs> you don't like this, Bobby? I saw Bobby's eyes light up when I mentioned Carmelo Anthony. The other team's eyes would also light up. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Um. On that note, we're gonna call it a night. Yeah. Uh. We will see you next week, where we will have an NBA Finals to discuss. Sharks will be back on the corner three. I will be joined by a ringer staffer, TBD. But Bobby Wagner will always be with me unless it's Isaac. We'll catch you next time. Uh, For Charks, for Bobby, I'm Justin. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.